With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing students in Athens TV into virtual learning, we tried to figure out how can we make this class experience better when you can't be doing video production on a daily basis. And the solution we came up with was guest speakers. Today we are joined by Nicholas Schmidt of AutoGrowl, who works with marketing and digital content creation for different brands in the Midwest and around the country. Start with Dayton, I guess. Um, that's kind of how we got connected. My cousins knew you when Absolutely. you were in college. And just talk about your experience at Dayton, because I like that school. Uh, everyone I've ever known who has gone there has loved it. And it's one that's not terribly far from where we are up here in Troy, Michigan, uh, just north of Detroit. So. How was your experience at Dayton and how did it get you into this current career? Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up at Dayton through uh, a bunch of wild twists and turns. And, you know, I had some friends that went there. I had some entries into some other schools and I, you know, I'm glad I ended up making the decision. Uh, the community there is great. All of the professors and everybody that I worked with were wonderful, made a lot of lifelong friends and built a really big network, which I think is one of the important things of, you know, of post high school and, into college is just the people you meet and the network you meet. And those end up being the people that you end up working with and finding opportunities with. And that has led to a lot of the, the things that I do in my career has come from connections that I made there at the university. So I had a great experience. You know, I really enjoyed my time there from, from an academic standpoint, I actually uh, went in as a, ver a visual communications major. So I did a lot of graphic design. That's kind of how I got my start in the creative field and then started incorporating more photography and video into what I did as I kind of expanded my client base and expanded skill set. Nice. So what, what is it that you do exactly? I, I know you work for a company called AutoGrowl. And what um, on a day-to-day -day basis, what are you doing with video marketing and, and so on? Yeah, absolutely. So when I got out of UD, I initially started as a freelance graphic designer. So I would set up contracts with businesses and uh, do anything from their website down to anything. That, this is pre-social. I mean, Facebook was pretty early at this point, so we weren't running a lot of ads and stuff. And then about five or six years into my career, the content and the things that I was creating um, became so digitally enhanced by the things that social media and YouTube and those were doing that I was able to partner up with somebody in the automotive industry and we built our ad agency, AutoGrow. So we are now in 15 stores across the United States, uh, car dealerships. My partner and I are bought out our third partner earlier this year. So it's just the two of us now. And then we just hired our 10th employee. So wow. we're a team of 12. So I've gone from being in a freelance setting and working by myself to now owning and operating an ad agency. So it's been quite a ride, but also um, just being able to scale yourself up and build a team for productions and those types of things have been a, an extremely fun part of the process. Yeah, that's... So now we get to, yeah, we're inside of dealerships a lot. We're working with um, agencies, other agencies on putting projects together. We've done some stuff with Procter and Gamble and we've done, done some stuff with some athletes. So it's been a really fun process for sure. Yeah. How, and how does, I'm, I'm very much on the creative and you know, the, the business world would be the part that frightens me. Um, yeah, absolutely. I don't, don't want to ask people for money as much as I might <laughs> be able to get, but how, how do you develop that client base and how, what is, when you're working is auto growl primarily, are you working in the auto field or you mentioned Procter Gamble athletes, you, you branched out a bit, but if it was with the vast, yeah, yeah the vast majority of our business is in automotive. So that was kind of the core of how we were able to build an agency 
because the type of advertising that they do is so cyclical. So every month there's new specials, every year there's new vehicles. So getting opportunities to work in the advertising field with dealerships on the local and regional levels provided an opportunity to scale up mm-hmm. because once clients committed to us, um, it was easier to look at the big picture and say, okay, with this many dealerships, we can bring on this many people. And what that's done for me, because I'm, I'm the same way. So I came up on the creative side and I was, you know, making the commercials and shooting the, taking the photos and doing those things. And my, my partner is a lot stronger on the client relationship side. So he brought a lot of those initial relationships in and said, Hey, here's my guy. Here's some of the things that we can do for you. And then together collectively, you know, right brain, left brain, mm-hmm. we were able to put together a pretty strong base of clients to build the company on. And was that a, like, were you a car guy in your background or was it more of like a business decision? Cause I it imagine was, they're going to have marketing budgets yeah. and maybe that's just where the money's at. And you kind of followed that. And that, and that is part of it. Um, my ultimate goal was from the beginning has always been to work for myself and to have freedom. And so I'm 11 years into my career now, since I've graduated, I, since I've graduated, I've never interviewed for a job. So I came out, I worked for myself and I continue to work for myself, but obviously at a larger scale now where I have employees and some of those things that I can delegate. So for me, it was ultimately, it came down to freedom and what industry was going to provide me with the freedom to do some of the other things that I want to do creatively. And so they always, you know, the old adage of like one for them and then one for you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is, we make what we do very enjoyable. And we also try to come at the marketing from a different standpoint of you're probably used to a lot of the car commercials that are dealers just talking to the screen and telling you the price. We don't do that. We try to tell stories and we try to have fun and we try to be creative in the way that we do things. So we spin it to be what we want it to be. And I think that's also what's given us a lot of success and kind of separated us as we get into more dealerships. Yeah. I like, I like hearing that, that you try to do more than just have the dealer, the shady auto dealer guy talking to the right, screen. Yeah, it's, it's a stigma for sure. And yeah. that's one of the things we try to break with our dealers by being more personal and being more humanized is to, to break that stigma that people have of car dealerships. Yeah. And it's something that, do you think it's because you kind of came up because what year did you graduate college? I graduated in 08. Yeah. So like YouTube is still pretty new, um, but Very nothing new. like it looks now. Do you think it's just how you came up in this angle, maybe a generational thing of how you're going to approach the story and you see this, that maybe the, uh, the older generation might not like, they're so used to that stereotype of the yeah. guy talking to the camera, but you're able to come at like from a younger, fresher point of view. Does that help you in, in when you're competing? Um, Cause I'm, I, I, it's so much better to watch something that's based on a story rather than just telling me facts. And absolutely, do you think that more people are going that way or do you still find that you guys are kind of unique in your field and that approach? I, I think it, in general, things are going that way. I think in our field and at the local level, it's still pretty, we, we've stepped into dealerships and they've been spending, they'll spend 80, $90,000 a year on newspaper ads. <laughs> so when we come in, we're flipping that script immediately, like cut all of it. And we're trying to take that money and redistribute it on different digital platforms. Like you've talked about, you know, we do a lot of YouTube pre-roll. We do a bunch of Facebook video ads. Uh, we do OTT now as opposed to standard television over the top. So we'll be streaming between Hulu commercials <laughs> and uh, those types of placement versus the traditional placement in the car market, which is, tends to be radio and TV. Yeah. And there's no way really to track metrics on those 
when we live in a world now where everything we do can be tracked back to where the original ad was sourced. So living in this digital age, it's definitely been interesting since I've come up from when I first graduated, that's when the first iPhone came out. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot change in the ad industry since I got out of school. And I definitely think with us being a younger company, I'm the oldest person at our company and I'm 35. So everybody else that works for us is in their early to mid twenties. And so we had definitely come into this generally older ran industry and put kind of a younger twist on it for the next generation of car buyers. And ultimately even my people, my parents age in their fifties and stuff spend a, a ton of time on Facebook and the metrics all support that they're, you know, that's becoming a very strong place to advertise to some of the older generations as well, because they're so engulfed in that community. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many different ways to reach an audience now. It's a lot to keep track of and probably got a lot to keep up on. How, how, how you, when you go into a dealer, how do you sell them on your services? Yeah. So what we really try to go in and pitch and put in front of them is ultimately because traditional media is so expensive, we come in from the standpoint of by switching to digital and letting us be a little more creative not only are we going to be able to track your results, but we're also going to be able to save you money. So every dealership we've gone into, we've been able to cut their ad budgets and provide stronger metrics and stronger growth because internet leads are becoming a more reputable lead source for the dealership. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this is in business in general, because I'm speaking a lot about automotive because that is the vast majority of what we do, but we work with, we work with real estate agents. um, We work with professional athletes we work with local small businesses. So we've got a wide variety of businesses that'll come in in smaller project chunks, maybe a 60 day or 90 day campaign versus automotive, which is we usually sign you know annual contracts with them. So we're working with them for a year or more. So there's definitely a way to come in and just provide a lot of value and also reduce what they're spending because they're used to spending so much money on types of advertising that don't necessarily work as well anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you, how do you get them to take a risk if they're usually of the, of the print media or radio advertising, the, the more traditional methods, and now you're trying to sell them on digital, you got that done. Is it difficult to get them on board with a a creative idea you have, or how closely do you have to work with them in developing the idea? Or do they just trust you and say, Nick, we hired you, you do you, or is there a little bit more back and forth as you go through the process? It's it's a little bit of both and it depends a lot on the particular client. So the clients we usually see that have the most success are the ones that do trust us and give us the freedom to be creative and give us the freedom to do what we do well. And a lot of my growth as a business owner has been able to be like, I know what I don't know and that's okay. And finding the people to fill in those pieces has allowed us to grow and it's the same from the client standpoint, like you don't know what you don't know and that's all right. Let us be the one who teaches you how to market digitally. And in most situations, dealerships are coming to us because their other agency isn't performing or things aren't good. We've mm-hmm. been mostly a change um, that has happened because somebody's reached out to us because whatever they're currently doing is no longer working. Yeah. Well, it, you're, you're in it at the right time because <laughs> it is just yes, more absolutely. and more. And I really don't think there's going to be less digital video in the world in the next decade until we come up with whatever VR is going to be or whatever comes next. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, yeah. 
So uh, we had a question. Um, I knew once you mentioned professional athletes, we'd probably need to know more about that. So who are some of the professional athletes that you've worked with and what kinds of things do you do for, for an individual like that? Yeah, so a variety of different things. One of the uh, athletes we work with locally is Sam Hubbard. He plays for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a defensive lineman. Um, we provide some marketing support for him through another team, an external team that we work with. Uh, Chris Wright, who played at the University of Dayton and played overseas and played uh, in the NBA for a couple of years. I'm currently working with him on a documentary. So he's doing a complete rebuild of, of a facility in Haiti to help provide better opportunities for athletes in that city. So it's not a great area and he's really working on how building it up and provides, you know, a better atmosphere for them to practice and play basketball in. And so I'm kind of documenting the process of the build and the athletes that he's working with. And then we work with, uh, through our dealerships, we'll often get athletes to appear in commercials. So out in Iowa, we've had a couple of Iowa state kids, Alan Lazard, who currently plays in the Packers and then David Montgomery, who's the running back for the Chicago Bears, have both been in commercials that I've shot. So we've worked with them and we've done some voiceover work with them and we continue to you know, work on that relationship and they're advocates for the dealers. So it's something that we see a lot in our industry as that you know, especially those up and coming athletes that are looking for sponsorship opportunities that often starts at that local level. And so being able to work with some of those younger athletes at the local level um, has been, you know, a win-win for both of us. So it's made for a really fun experience for us getting to work with athletes that we, that, you know, that we get to watch on TV and watch play. And then also they get an opportunity to kind of build their brand, which is really important in it, today's day It is really sure. interesting how that has taken off that you, I mean, 20 years ago, if an athlete referred to themselves as a brand, no one would have had yeah. a clue what they were talking about, but with so much social media and their ability to, go right to the audience now. I mean, you're probably going to see more and more of that. I would imagine is that people come to the professionals to help them share that story. So when a Sam Hubbard uh, comes to you to document what he's doing, are you, are you going to be the one who carries that process all the way through? Like, are you going to do the editing and, and. Yeah. So the, the basketball documentary project I'm working on will be kind of beginning to end me and my team. So I've met with uh, Chris a couple of times and we go to his site where he talks me through everything. We've done an interview session already. So I'll come in and I'll kind of direct my team on, we have a separate lighting team. I'll bring my lighting team in. Um, I've got an audio guy that I trust. That's a big part of the game for sure. And from that, I'll kind of direct and dictate what types of answers we need to get to match with the footage that we're going to get. And then we'll capture B roll of him working out or playing basketball and then kind of pairing that all together. I will do all the editing as well. So I've kind of got a workflow I've created because working by myself as a one man team for such a long time, I've kind of mastered all the individual mm -hmm. skills that it takes to kind of take something beginning to end. So a lot of what I do, I will take from kind of pre-production all the way through post and then hand off to my marketing team and it's on them to kind of put it in front of the right people and put it in front of the right eyeballs. Yeah. So we're, we, not, not to compare like a Sam Hubbard level documentary, but around here, you know, we, we try to tell different stories of our community, um, these short documentary type things. And we're very much in our planning stage right now, since it's a little difficult to produce uh, from where we're currently at. Right. We'll be back in, in some, some in person soon, but can you talk a little bit about your pre-production phase? You mentioned about trying to get um, the footage that's going to match up with the, the sound bites you know you're going to get. Just how do you 
How do you plan out from the start? Is there a particular thing you always try to do? Does it depend on the project? Just how do you, because the challenge we run into is you, you don't want to go out into the field more than once. And I imagine with you, someone like uh, a professional athlete, they're not going to have a ton of time for you to come back and, and redo things and, and constantly be nagging them to give you more. So how can we take steps in our pre-planning process, our pre-production to make sure we're going to get the best possible project at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And on the documentary side and in the dealership side. So we've got clients that are out in Des Moines, Iowa. So I'll fly out there for three days. I've got one day on set to get what I need. So a lot of pre-production happens in both, both sectors of the documentary stuff and in the commercial stuff on the documentary side, because a lot of it is capturing something that's actively happening. Um, more of that on that pre-planning is just making sure schedules are coordinated. Uh, I like to have all my questions prepared. I know what types of answers I'm trying to go for and that I can coach for to get to match with what we're, the story we're trying to tell. Obviously, you don't want to push some, you want to get an organic, raw story, but that doesn't mean you can't ask the questions that are going to kind of allow you to get what you're, what you're searching for when you're trying to tell that story. So a lot of that pre-prep, I'll usually do a phone interview. Um, before I meet up and we ask those questions, we'll kind of run through it so that they're prepared. They can prepare answers or prepare some of the things that they're looking for. And then I'll tend to throw a couple curveballs of questions that I'll prepare that they don't know about when I get there just to get, try to get some more natural answers. And then from a scouting location standpoint, I try to get out as much as I can. Obviously this is pre COVID a little more being able to get out and figure out the places I'm going to shoot before I actually shoot there. So I can get a lay of the land. I know where I'm going to set up my gear. I know where I'm going to put my lights. I know where I'm going to have everything as I get there. Cause to get, you're going to lose a lot of time getting in the day of and scrambling to try to figure out those types of things. If you've never seen the area of where you're shooting and sometimes you can't, you can't get around that and you've got to run and gun a little bit and being prepared by having, you know, the gear in hand, that's going to allow you to, so if I'm going to run and gun, I bring kind of a different camera setup than I would if I'm going to do a sit down interview. Mm -hmm. And some of that is just dictated based on availability of client schedules and the tight, like you said, that depends on what we're shooting. But pre-production is huge. Just trying to be organized, uh, trying to be prepared, those types of things. I think they often go, especially from a client standpoint, they kind of see you the day you're there shooting. And they look at that as like, that's what I'm paying for. Mm -hmm. And they often ignore and you have to preach the fact of how much work goes in before and how much work goes in after in the post-production and the editing side, because to them, they only visually see you shooting that one day. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you might be spending twice as much time on the editing side than you were actually physically being present. So that's one of the things that we definitely have to position, especially with people that aren't used to working in a creative setting. Um, is showing a lot of your work, showing them the pre-production notes, showing them the things that you've been working on prior to arrival so they can get a really, you know, full picture of what we're trying to accomplish when they're spending this type of money with us. Yeah, that's that's all good advice. I love that idea of, because I, I, one thing I try to stress to the to the students is it's it's hard to make a video. And I think people don't understand when they say something like, oh, like a five to seven minute video, what they're actually asking for right. when they're asking for that. Um, and coaching just it's, and it's hard, you know, when you're younger to give that guidance. But I think if you are, people are, anyone's going to be nervous when they're being interviewed, especially on camera, if you can be reassuring 
mm-hmm. um, and guide them along. You're going to get much better responses. So that's all really, really good pre-production info. Um, well, we appreciate you coming in and spending this time with us. I guess our we had a, one final question. I think we've kind of been hypnotized by that drone footage in the background and the <laughs> drone there on the... Uh, is that is that the Mavic Pro or is that the Air? I can't tell. Yeah, that's the that's the Mavic Air Pro two. Two. Um, that's I've I've recently upgraded to that one. Okay, I, I was recently older, looking to Mavic. upgrade here as well. Yeah. Um, but could you just talk a little bit about? We haven't had anyone that's been a drone pilot yet. Um, I assume it's not just yeah, there absolutely. for show. But what, you know, what what kinds of things do you look for when you're drone piloting beyond the the immediate fun of flying it around in the sky? Um, right. are there any particular shots or skills or fun times you've had out there with the drone that you could, uh, talk about? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely one of my favorite tools. It's over the last, obviously when I first got into the game, it wasn't even an option, um, unless you were going to spend crazy amounts of money. And over the course of the last five years, the price has dropped and the quality has dropped. I mean, the quality I get off of that little guy versus my original drone that I paid twice as much for is... I mean, this thing shoots 4K, 60 frames per second. It's um, 48 megapixels. Like the, the footage is crystal clear. You can fly it extremely high. Um, I've got most of my pilot testing and everything done. So it's what's also great about it is a lot of it's, it's built in now. So I can auto track. So when I'm doing automotive, I can grab a car. I can go up as high as I want and the drone will follow the car. I don't even have to guide it anymore because the sensors in the system will auto track and drive the drive the drone and drive it out and it's it's definitely one of the when i get on set it's 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 a ton of fun i enjoy doing it obviously it's a little nerve-wracking at times when you get up there and you can't see it anymore but you get you kind of build a tolerance for how far away you're willing to let it go and i've gotten pretty tolerant now with how high up i'll take it and where i'll go it go with it some of our dealerships are around airports so we run into some of the things where these ones are built in now they'll tell you when there air, there's aircraft nearby or when you need to drop down so the technology on them um, with the auto stops and everything else is pretty amazing but i definitely enjoy really really enjoy that aspect of it so between the drone and then i shoot on primarily on a canon 1dx mark ii um, i have a variety of lenses so that's kind of my go-to kit when i'm out shooting but the, the drone is something over the last two years that's become very in demand. So I'll go out and have just complete drone sessions at times, or I'll work it into what we're doing with an idea or something that we're shooting. Yeah, it's, it's something that really ups the production value for not, like Absolutely. you said, a ton of money. And that auto tracker, we, we've had the, uh, the Mavic Pro, the first one, um, that one fell out of the sky one day. Fortunately, over no no kids' heads, um, and then we have the Mavic Mini now, which is okay. uh, it's amazing. I mean, for how big it is, the but what it's lacking is all those features that you were talking about. And I can imagine for a car commercial, like auto tracking would just be if you'd never had it yes. before, a total game changer. So that's awesome. Um, we did have one more question, um, just about places you've been, and was there a particular uh, place that you've done a project at that you enjoyed around the world or country or anywhere you've been that was just a cool spot to make a video at? Yeah, absolutely. So like, like I said, with, from a business standpoint, we've got 15 dealerships and we're in five States. So I'm constantly moving around about once a quarter. I'm out in Iowa, which doesn't sound all that exciting, but it's, it's pretty cool to go out there and shoot. Um, we have a dealer in South Carolina. We have a dealer in Florida and then we have uh, multiple dealers here in Ohio. So from a business standpoint, I tend to bounce around those states throughout the year. So I'm traveling quite a bit. 
Um, from a t personal standpoint, um, I've been out to California to shoot for some personal projects. I've been, um, I spent a lot of time in South Carolina on the beaches in South Carolina. I love flying out there and getting footage out there. And a big part of what I enjoy about what I do and working within the business and the agency world is that I have the freedom to kind of pick up and go and work from wherever I want to work. So if I want to do a personal project or I want to go shoot something that's just for me, um, owning the business and being on that side of it gives me the flexibility that we're, you know, we're so connected nowadays that we can work from anywhere. So definitely from a freedom standpoint, that's been great. And it's allowed me to travel quite a bit and do and shoot and uh, capture the things that I want to capture that don't necessarily fall into the bucket of what we're doing at the agency. Nice. Well, Nick, thanks for coming in. I'm really jealous you've never interviewed for a job in your life and you still got this much <laughs> going on. So congrats with that. And I hope um, all the pandemic stuff is not holding you guys back at all. Or if it is, it will be picking up again. So Really appreciate you coming in. Go Flyers. Sorry that Absolutely. they canceled the March Madness yeah. tournament this year. That was a bummer for all of us, but I imagine for Dayton alumni, an even bigger bummer. So <laughs> hopefully was. hopefully everyone's coming back. Hopefully next that's, year. That's the hope. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you later. All right. Thank you.